seated. All right. Good morning, Reach Church. All right. So if kids want to head out to Reach Kids now, they can they can make a run for it. <laughs> All right. So uh, we have uh, we have some special guests with us. Uh, but before before I jump into that, I'm getting ahead of myself. So. Uh, we're on a mission at this church to reach, to, uh, to reach all people with nothing but Jesus. To get the gospel before people that they would see that they are free from works, they're free from guilt, they're free from shame because Jesus has taken those things away and given us his perfect righteousness. And one of the newer missions of Reach Church is the, um, the mission to uh, University of Delaware. So, uh, this is a place that needs the gospel. This is a place that is right in our backyard where people are making formative life decisions and they need Jesus and want Jesus ultimately. And it's our mission to, to give them Jesus. And so as part of that mission, um, what Reach Church has, uh, has created is uh, Reach UD, which is a house, a house there uh, right at the heart of campus where students who love Jesus can live and can be a light and a, a witness to other university students. And so uh, what we're doing as a church is basically putting out an, an outpost that as you, as you go to, to conquer a place, in a sense, you, you put a place where they can meet, they can be together, and they can go out and, and preach Jesus. So that's what the Reach UD house is. It is a place to... Um, to share the joy that we have in Christ. And so with that in mind, uh, Wilson, do you want to come up here? And the rest of the team. <clears throat> All right, let's go. Come on, clap. Clap for this. This is good. This is good. <laughs> so can everyone hear me? Don't need a mic. Yeah? You're good. Good. Cool. Uh, so my name is Wilson Forney. I'm actually the assistant resident director of Reach UD. Uh, I'll be living at the house with the students. Uh, these are a couple of the students that are there, uh, it's gonna be a total of 13 students plus me living there. Uh, the house is located at 6 Annabelle Street, right next to the party culture at University of Delaware, and we have actually already been able to have an impact there. Last Sunday, what we did, we uh, got water bottles and peanut butter crackers and went out uh, while the students were going from party to party, things like that, and handing out water bottles, asking people to have a safe night. We wore our Reach UD shirts and sweatshirts so that people knew that we were uh, a ministry of Reach Church. Uh, and we actually had a really cool opportunity to be able to talk with people and have some conversations. Uh, one group even called one of our groups up onto their porch uh, and started uh, asking questions and we exchanged uh, phone numbers and we'll be getting together with them to like play music and talk to them about the gospel and things like that. And so that's kind of what the, that mission is about, is reaching those students uh, who are unreached on campus. Um, and not only that, but also the students living at the house, growing in faith together. Uh, and so we are going to have uh, different Bible study times with each other. We'll do different fellowship events, uh, as well as have times where all of us as a church body can come together and you guys can get to know us uh, and what we're doing on campus. So, uh, like I said, I'm Wilson. I'm going to have them introduce themselves. My name's Jamie. I'm Emily. Hey. I'm Michael. I'm John. So, like I said, this is a couple of us. People that are missing are Katie Betters, uh, Cora Vasquez, uh, Megan Murray. Grady Hackett, Jesse Nugent, Adneel, uh, Alicia, 
and Sam Wicks uh, are the other students that will be living there. Uh, and so we're Reach UD. Yeah. yeah. All right. So with that in mind, these are, these are missionaries of the church now. So that's how we think of them um, with, with all the responsibility and the, the mission that, that that entails. So let's pray for them and send them on their way. And uh, yeah, join me in prayer. Father, we thank you that you get to include us in, in your mission. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that, um, that we do not go with a, a message of condemnation or of fear, but one of, of mercy and grace and love. And Father, I ask that the joy of the gospel would be the motivation behind um, these students uh, reaching, reaching new uh, believers in Christ. Father, we long to see uh, your mercy lifted up and the cross lifted up that many may see that you are a God of grace and a God of salvation. And so, Father, would you use Reach UD? Would you give them uh, true fellowship in Christ? And, Father, would you give them boldness in the gospel to share their faith and to, to be a light into a, a dark place that your name may be proclaimed? Father, would you send them out in, uh, in all joy? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We will be uh, out in the lobby after the service if you guys want to come and get to know us a little bit, talk to us a little bit. So we look forward to getting to meet you guys. Thank you. Now, if you uh, are interested in helping out the, this mission, um, there's an opportunity to, uh, to support what we're doing there. We're actually asking that um, 150 families take up a pledge to, to support these students, and ultimately to support the mission that we have there. That this would be something that continues forward and is a, a, a way of kind of doing a, a larger work at, uh, at University of Delaware. So uh, it'll be sent out in your, in your e-news, but an invitation to pledge $35 a month for the next year um, if you want to get involved in this mission and kind of help reach students at University of Delaware. So we're pretty excited about that. And um, yeah, may God, may God bless it. Amen? All right. So, uh, pray with me, and we're going to jump into uh, our sermon. Father, I thank you that, that our sufficiency is not in ourselves, but in Christ. And Father, I thank you that you give us commandments uh, first to break our hearts, that we may see that, that we need Jesus, and then you pour on the blessings that are in him. Father, I, th I thank you for... Uh, for the gift of Jesus. And Father, I ask that you would deepen our love for him and our excitement and joy in the gospel. Father, would you use this, uh, this word, even now, to, um, to shape our hearts into lovers of Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen. All right, so uh, we, are, we are moving through the Ten Commandments, uh, slowly but surely. And... Seeing how Jesus turns, uh, turns commandments into promises. Turns commandments into promises. That promises alone, in and of themselves, bring death. But through Jesus, these commandments are fulfilled in him and actually fulfilled in us by his spirit. So uh, we've been looking, kind of breaking it down into, into the first four commandments, how these are kind of the big, uh, all-encompassing, almost, almost too big to wrap your head around commandments. And then we see how those are kind of fleshed out in the, in the latter six 
making them a lot more tangible and simple. Um, God kind of meeting us where we are in our daily lives. And so we've seen, we've talked about how uh, we are to obey our parents as a representation of, of obeying the authority that, that God has and, and doing so with joy. Likewise, we talked about how, okay, we're supposed to see humanity as, as the image of God and, and worship him in, in humanity through, through our humanness. Uh, but then that's fleshed out in just loving people and, and giving them life and providing for them. So this week, this week we are looking at the seventh commandment. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not commit adultery. And the hope is that we see the, the larger kind of covenant theme in this commandment. That the whole, the whole story of scripture is this promise and this covenant, this marriage between the people of God and the God of the universe. And if, if those people are called to be faithful to their covenant, then they should be faithful to the covenant that God has given them in marriage. So, today we're looking at kind of the specifics of that commandment. Why, why adultery? Why, why that is the, the focus here. We're going to look at the, the larger struggle with, with sexual sin and purity. And then finally we're going to see how this points to Jesus and the gospel. Alright, so, let's jump right in. Let's do this. Uh, so we're starting off with specifics. So we start with, uh, this is the first commandment, you shall not commit adultery, or the, the seventh commandment, you shall not commit adultery, just the words of it. It's not just a, a call to blanket general sexual purity. I know we often make it into that, but it starts first as, as adultery itself, as adultery. And there is no adultery without, without the marriage covenant. That adultery is, is going outside of the covenant you have made with your spouse and being united to another. And, and it's that, that specific breaking of the, the covenantal vows that kind of take on the, the larger story that God is trying to, to communicate in the seventh commandment. So, marriage. So marriage is a covenant. It's a covenant. Now that's kind of an antiquated thing. There are not really any, any other places where we see covenants in, in our world. So we might have, a, have an agreement. We might have a, I don't know, a contract. But a covenant is so much deeper than that. A covenant is this, this uniting of two people. And a pledge of faithfulness. A pledge that, that unconditionally they will be united together and faithful to one another. And the only place that really lingers in, in our culture, in the larger culture, is, is in marriage. That these two people, a man and a woman, who are very different, come together and make these vows ultimately of faithfulness. It's one main commandment that they will be exclusive to one another. That forsaking all others, they will be united together to each other and each other alone. Alright, so that's the covenant. I want to make sure that we remember that the larger context of, of this passage, of the Ten Commandments, is covenant. It's covenant. That the Ten Commandments, they're essentially the, the wedding vows that God has given his people. That these are the things that you are pledging to do is to keep these ten and that the whole story of scripture can be told as, 
as God's marriage to this people Israel. That God shows of, of all the nations one. One nation that would bear his name. That would know him. That would love him. That would have this, this special relationship with him. Would be in fellowship and communion with him. They would be united to him so much so that, that where he goes, they go. Where they go, he goes. And there's a pledge of faithfulness between them. That he would be committed to them no matter what. And they were called to be committed in turn. That this whole system is, is a... We think of marriage as just something we've created. No, it's something that God created to show us his relationship to humanity. That it's a small picture of the larger covenant. So with that in mind, uh, we kind of have to kind of have to unpeel the layers here. That there's layers of, of meaning and of, of depth to marriage and to sex. And so with, with that in mind, what, what is sex? What is sex in the, in the context of, of covenant? So sex is, this, is a, a means of, of uniting two people together. So without that, there's, there's this agreement, but that agreement becomes, becomes tangible, becomes real. And that sex is actually a gift that God has given to unite the two people together. That they are no longer the same, that the two become one. Sex is this means of, of being united to other things. And ultimately united to each other. And it's, it's a really beautiful picture of, of the covenant if we understand it. So, in marriage, in marriage, you are totally exposed. You're totally exposed. Your spouse knows all of your dirty secrets. They know all of your sin struggles. They just get to see all the mess. That's what marriage is. Which would be terrifying. Be terrifying to just be totally exposed, but thankfully there's this, there's this commitment underneath it. A commitment that is unwavering, unconditional, that you are committed to one another. And no matter the, the dirt and the grime and the disgusting things you find out about one another, you're committed to this thing. Alright, so. So sex. Totally exposed. Totally exposed. You are nothing to hide. Alright, literally. And, and it would be terrifying. To just be before this person and to be under their judgment. But there's this commitment of unconditional love. And the commitment turns it into this place of, of freedom and of joy and of peace and of blessing. It's, it's the perfect reflection of, of what the covenant becomes. Of what marriage becomes when it's, when it's attached to this unconditional promise. And it also then becomes a, a picture of the joy of the covenant. That this, this marriage it's, it can be deemed this kind of brutal thing, but in reality it, it's, it's a blessing. And there's great pleasure and joy to be found in it. And sex is a way of, of reinforcing that message. That healthy marriages naturally lead to sex. And sex actually helps create better, healthier marriages. This is a blessing that God has given. Alright, so that's where we don't just say, okay, God just hates sex. That's, that's dumb. No. He hates adultery. So why, why then does, does he hate adultery specifically? What is it about adultery? 
Well, it's to take, it's to take this thing that is meant to unite two people together and to remind them of, of the gospel, essentially. That there's unconditional acceptance and love. There's nothing to fear. There's no shame. It's to use that same tool to do all of the opposite things. To destroy the relationship. To create distrust and fear and shame and guilt into this marriage. It's to, to take the gift and to, to use it as, as a way of destroying that marriage itself. That that's why God hates it. Now, if we talk about the parallels here, okay, what is, what is sex parallel to in, in our relationship with God, in the relationship between God's people and himself? Where is the place where, where we stand before God and are totally exposed, our hearts are open before him, and yet we, we enjoy him and receive the blessing of his fellowship, of his covenant, just standing in his presence, where does that actually happen in the Christian church, in the Christian life? I would say it happens in, in worship. It happens in worship. That we stand there in worship, just enjoying God. Like, okay, our, our hearts are sick, but we stand before him perfectly accepted and loved and without fear because he established this covenant with us. And that's where you get this, this picture of like heaven as, oh no, like you're going to be, you're going to be worshiping God the whole time. It's going to be miserable. No, like <laughs> this is as good as you can like, the, the pictures, you're not, you're not seeing those right. That it's, it's basically this place of pleasure and enjoyment and fellowship with God in perfect freedom. And so then adultery, or adultery is essentially, it's idolatry. It's to go outside for, for a different God, for different worship, and to destroy those things. Now that's why he hates it. And then, then we start to see that this, this adultery starts to cover other areas that it starts to get broader. There you see things like, like prostitution and rape and all of these, these ways that we have polluted and, and destroyed the gift that God has given us. That we introduce all of these other elements, not this, just the two together. All right. Now, I wish, I wish that we could talk about adultery like we talked about murder. Last week, you could kind of joke about, like, well, you know, but, but no one's ever murdered anyone here. Uh, that's not the case with adultery. That there is adultery in the church. There is, like, brutal, real sexual sin in the church. That we don't come to this commandment thinking, oh, I probably, I probably get safe on this one. All right, but, but. The commandments, as, as we said last week, are first and foremost for, for our personal hearts, not for anyone else. For our personal hearts. And so we can't just say, okay, those people out there, they, they have, they're ruining sex, they're destroying it. They are the perverse ones, they, they are the sinners. Jesus never lets us say there. 
And so Jesus takes it to, to the heart, to our hearts, our personal hearts before God. And so what, is, what does Jesus say? Matthew 5, verse 27. Matthew 5. You've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Alright, so it doesn't just get to be this outward act. That, oh, no, like we have some, some people have done that and some people haven't. No, he takes it back to the heart. It's always about the heart. And the heart, the heart can be adulterous without, without the body ever getting involved. And he's trying to show us that we are actually all adulterers at heart. All right, so what does this look like? If sex is, is this means of, of uniting to other things, then lust is using our eyes to, to unite our hearts to objects, to people. And we ultimately end up kind of taking little pieces of our heart and, and uniting them to all of these things. That in pornography, we're uniting ourselves to, to pixels and to pictures and to videos. That we're losing some of ourselves. There's less of us, ourselves to, to give to our spouses. There's less of us in the, in the committed covenant. We're adulterers at heart. Alright, but then it starts, to, it starts to broaden. That once you kind of open the floodgates of the heart, then all of this sin comes pouring out. Alright, so we have to think of things like, okay, like, think of Netflix. The internet we pay for, the, the shows that we watch. And we have to recognize, like, okay, if in our heart of our hearts, are we sometimes using those things for lust? Are we hoping to see things that we know we shouldn't? Or are we justifying it when really in our heart we're like, oh, I, I, don't, I don't like that, but we do. And part of the reason we like our actors attractive is because we like to lust. And ultimately we're paying for these things to infiltrate our hearts and infiltrate our homes. There's a, there's a prostitution to this. They were paying for sexual sin to be part of our lives. All right, and then as we walk throughout daily life, as we look and we see and we, we lust after people who, who don't want to be lusted after, who don't know that they're being lusted after, we're being united to people against their will. People that, that don't want to be united to us. There's a, there's a rape element to that. The heart starts to get really, really wicked if we keep, if we keep diving deeper. There's the other side of the coin. Maybe we want to be objects of lust. Maybe we dress knowing that, like, okay, I, I want to be. I want to be looked at in that way. All right, and this is where uh, men can kind of get beat up on this commandment. And, and kind of smeared around. So, all right, there's another side to this as well. There's the emotional side too. That, that part of sex is, is the emotional intimacy of it. The emotional connection. We can't cut, cut these things into little pieces. And so, there is, there is an emotional component where you can be adulterous of the heart without sex coming into play. All right, so there's things like Longing for a different spouse, but not, not in a sexual way, but just longing for, for your spouse to be 
someone who was just nicer or just seemed like, like a better provider, they just seemed like a better guy, a better woman, that's still adultery. That you're, you're giving your heart to, to someone who's not your spouse. And creating this kind of fantasy world where, where you're not married to the person you're married to. It's the same game. It's the same game, just, just played in a different way. And you see this, you see this in lots of different ways. So if our spouses should be the ones we're, we're most intimately, the ones we go to for connection, if we go to other people, if we go to friends, if we go to our parents, if we go to our kids for those same connections, that's adultery of the heart. That if we, if we long to first share the things that are happening in our lives with, with someone, not our spouse, when our spouse is kind of treated like, a, like an accessory, when they're not the, the first and foremost relationship, that itself is, is adultery. Alright, so this starts, to, this starts to spill over and get a lot messier and suddenly there aren't people who are adulterous and those who aren't. It becomes this big gray washed over sin struggle of us all. Then Jesus goes on. Jesus goes on. He talks about divorce. We're thinking, okay, okay, if, if, we, if we divorce the person that we're married to, then we can't commit adultery. That was the mindset. And so divorces were really common. They did them a lot for, for really goofy reasons. And so, verse 31. Matthew 5, 31. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Alright, so what, what, is, what is he saying? He's saying that just because you're divorced doesn't mean that you're divorced in the eyes of God. And if it wasn't a real divorce, then instead of two divorced people going on with their lives, it's two adulterers going on with their lives. That as they enter into new relationships, they're committing adultery. That this covenantal vow that they made actually does carry forward. It actually is long-standing. It actually is, is unconditional. Whether it's broken or not. Now, Jesus' disciples hear that, and what do they say? They say, if that's the case, then it's better not to marry. And you expect Jesus to say, no, no, no. What does Jesus say? Jesus says, you know what? There are people who are eunuchs, who don't get married. But this is the vow. This is the vow. And we start to see that, that we are covenant breakers. That if, if our marriages are this kind of microcosm and this test to see, okay, how do we do with, with covenants? We don't do very well. And that our hearts, our hearts make us covenant breakers. We are covenant breakers at heart. So Jesus offers, offers us a solution. He offers us a solution. All right, Jesus, what do we do? Verse 29. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. All right, thanks, Jesus. All right, if, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away, for it is better to lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. And that's where not only is this a crazy requirement that the standard is super high, Jesus also calls for, like, 
such passionate hatred of this and to go after sexual sin with, with drastic measures. And that these attempts that we make to, to kind of, there might be times to cut things off. To cut things off. That you cut off things that you watch, that you cut off things that you do, that you cut off things, places that you go. But ultimately, we'll be cutting and we'll be cutting and there'll be nothing left. That's the real problem. Is that Jesus made it very clear. It starts in the heart and if you're going to cut out this sexual sin, you're going to have to cut out your very own heart. That it's lodged in the heart and it's not getting out. Okay. So the only way to obey this commandment is with perfect and pure desire. No other place do you go for sexual fulfillment, for sexual fantasy, but, but your spouse. Your spouse and your spouse alone. Always and always. And if you're not married, purity. 100%. That's the call. We are adulterers. We are adulterers. Alright, that then takes us, that takes us to Jesus. Jesus. Alright, good, good. Alright, that's where, without, without Jesus, this is, this is what the Bible says. We cannot say that it says anything else. The Bible destroys us if we cut out the Jesus part. But then Jesus comes in. And who is Jesus? Jesus is the bridegroom. Jesus is the bridegroom. And Jesus, before, before time began, he chose who would be his bride. And he made that commitment to marry his bride before his bride had done anything right or wrong. He had committed himself, it, irrespective of what, what his, his bride would ultimately do, what kind of bride we would be. That he made his, his promise then and there. And then he came to this earth to get his bride. To get his bride. Now, if you know Christ, you are the bride of Christ. Jesus, Jesus chose adulterous people. He chose an adulterous bride. And he did that because he, he knew that he knew that that's all that's what who he wanted. He wanted the adulteress. So when Jesus comes to the earth, when he comes to the earth, how does he treat people who who, he, who are adulterous? Well, first of all, he only he only finds and, and communicates with adulterous women because that's what we are. He, he's talking he's talking to his church when he's talking to these women. He's talking to us. Right, so the woman at the well. The woman at the well. She's adulterous. All right, five times over. She has all these husbands. She's living with someone who's not her husband. And how does Jesus diagnose this woman? All right, she could she could be diagnosed as as a skank. All right, she could be that. She could be she could be dirty. She could be. Uh, she could be a reject. She could be all of these things. But Jesus decided, who, who is this lady? Who is this lady? 
This lady is thirsty. That she's been going, she's been going and trying to find water. She's been trying to find life. And everything leaves her dry. And Jesus doesn't become the, the judge. Jesus becomes the living water to this woman. That you drink me, I will give you my spirit, and you'll never be thirsty again. All right, when Jesus meets the, the woman caught in adultery, all right, so there's this crowd holding stones, getting ready to, to pummel this woman with stones to death. And what does Jesus say? Jesus says, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. That's the point that this commandment is supposed to show us that, that there is no one without sin, that everyone is adulterous and everyone will be throwing rocks at everyone until everyone's dead. All right, and so everyone, so everyone starts to dwindle away until Jesus is left. Now, Jesus is he who is without sin, but he didn't throw the first stone. He didn't throw the last stone. He says, neither do I condemn you. Go and, go and, and sin no more. That's who Jesus is. And that's who Jesus comes for. We are an adulterous people, but we are the bride of Christ. And he's going to do whatever it takes to, to get our hand. And there's one major obstacle. The major obstacle is that there's a price on our head. That we have the debt of sin upon us and that, and that we deserve to die. Adulterers deserve to die. But Jesus comes and he, and he comes and dies for our place. He becomes the, the adulterous savior. He's treated as, as faithless when, when he alone was faithful. And when he rises from the dead, when he rises from the dead, he, he doesn't, he can't marry us yet. There's still work to be done. And so what does he do? He gives us, he gives us an engagement ring. The engagement ring of the Holy Spirit. And he says, I will be with you always. And that Holy Spirit doesn't just, just give us the union with Jesus, but also that thing that we needed, the Holy Spirit comes and gives us new hearts. He comes and gives us hearts that actually love Jesus, that are faithful, that want to love him. That's where we have this Savior who, who chose adulterous people and died for adulterous people, who he knew would be continually adulterous if he didn't intervene. But he's faithful. He's faithful. There's that passage, and it, it's, it's one of the best passages that even if we are not faithful, he will be faithful because he cannot deny himself. He is by nature faithful to us and he is endlessly faithful to us. Even as we betray him, even as we keep running, even as we keep being adulterous. That he loves us and he chose us to be his bride. Now that should change our relationship to, to faithfulness. That we now love Jesus, that we've experienced the beauty of faithfulness and now we want to go and do the same. That's what heart change looks like. That now you want to be faithful because you actually love your husband. And that you want to be with him. You only want Jesus because he's been so faithful to you. 
That's how you get power to be, to be the, this, this person that seems so unattainable. And how do we get there? How, what's, what's kind of the, the practical thing? All right, just like sex is supposed to help in marriage, worship is supposed to help with Jesus. All right? That the more we worship, the more we, we just open ourselves up, let ourselves be broken sinners before Jesus, and worship before him, knowing that we have freedom and acceptance and grace and mercy. That's what's going to sustain us. That's what's going to strengthen this bond that we keep running after Jesus. Now sex. Sex is complicated. Sex is harder than it seems. It takes practice. It takes getting to know the person. And too many times we've like, okay, we've tried to worship Jesus. It doesn't really work. We don't really like it. And we don't do it anymore. All right. We need to learn to worship Jesus well. And to enjoy him and enjoy worshiping. Because Jesus is going to come back. And when he comes back on the white horse, his name is faithful and true. And he's going to take us and he's going to call us the bride of Christ. He's going to wash us clean. And we're going to be spotless and perfect and without blemish before him for all eternity. He is faithful. He will, he will get us there. Let us love him and be faithful in return. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you do not let us uh, with blind hearts and blind minds believe that we are good, but Father, you break our hearts that you might restore us. And Father, I ask that you would give us great joy, joy in Jesus, that, that Jesus has loved us uh, perfectly, that he is faithful to us, that there's nothing that we can do to break that marriage bond, that even as we are adulterous people, Jesus is faithful pursuing us. He keeps loving us. He keeps drawing us to himself. Father, we ask that you might fill us with your spirit. Would you change our hearts that we would long to be faithful to the one who is faithful to us. Jesus, we, we love you. We thank you that you are a groom. We ask that you might turn us into the bride by 